All right, the title of today's sermon is called Stewarding God's Money, and we've got a lot to talk about. First, we're going to talk about why we need to manage money well, and um, then we're going to go into a brief overview of what the Bible as a whole says about money and finances, and then we're going to take a practical look at how to actually handle our finances well. Um, So the first thing I want to talk about is the importance, biblically, of handling our money well. Could someone read uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 12? That's really got a lot that that says. I think it's um, really interesting how Jesus wanted to point out for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. Like Christ wants us to be smart with our money and like it's been a problem with Christians it tends to be, it's an easy problem for Christians to fall into for not being smart with money and not being shrewd with um, dealing with it. Can someone also read Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14? Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors 
also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do so. The soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So how many answers did Jesus, I mean, did John the Baptist give when they asked him, what should we do to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance? So he gave three answers, and there's a similarity between them, right? They all have to do with money. And that there's not anything else that it says he mentioned. The only things he mentioned are how you handle your money and how you deal with it. The last reason I want to mention on why it's important that we as Christians learn to handle our money well is because we're called to seek to glorify God in every area of our lives. Glorifying God isn't just about quote-unquote spiritual things. That should be very obvious by John the Baptist's response when um, the Pharisees asked him, what then shall we do to bear fruit with our repentance? All right, next we're going to get into a brief overview of what the Bible says about money. So there's kind of three categories I have on this, what the Bible says we should think about money, what our attitude towards money should be, and then what we actually do with it and how we handle it. So first one, what the Bible says about our thoughts on money. So the first is that we should have a stewardship view. Um, The title is Stewarding God's Money because it's actually not our money. And the Bible says that. It's God's money. Can someone read Psalms 50 verses 9 through 12? Yep. 59 through 12? Yes. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your poles. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. I just love the way God puts that. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, because I own everything. Like, God doesn't need any of our help or any of our stuff, but God wants to conform us to the image of his son because it glorifies him, and it's his purpose for us. And part of that um, involves us being generous, because Christ was very generous. He gave literally everything. So God owns everything. He owns all the money we have and all the money we ever will have. He's the one who gives us ability to earn a living. And therefore, we're stewards to him. Um, Can someone read Luke 19, verses 11 through 27? He said, therefore, a nobleman went 
into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So the scriptures make it clear that we're steward to God, stewards to God in every area of our lives. And um, obviously that would include finances. But it's, it's important that we have that as our paradigm. That's how the Bible teaches us to think. And when you have right thinking, thinking that comes from the Bible, it leads to right, um, right feeling about things and right doing things. Uh, the second way that I think we should think about money from the scriptures is that money is a tool. Um, money isn't bad, the love of money is bad. Can someone read Luke chapter 8 verse 3? few women who would travel with Jesus and his disciples and they provided for them out of their own means. Like I think when Jesus and his disciples were traveling, they weren't working full-time jobs while they were doing it. (laughs) I don't think they would have been able to get as much done if they were. So money is a tool. There's things we can do with it. Um, Just a few more verses on that. Can someone read Ecclesiastes 10.19? For 
laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. So you you always hear sermons on uh, the love of money is the root of all, all evil. You never hear someone preach about that verse in Ecclesiastes that says, and money is the answer to everything. <laughs> but the Bible wants us to have balanced views of things. Like David said in Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. And God's word teaches us to have certain ideas within tension of each other. We don't want to go too far in one way or the other. But um, you have to consider the context of Ecclesiastes. It's written from the view of a person who believes in God, but doesn't really believe in eternity. So they're not saying money is literally the answer to everything. Money is not going to solve our sin problems. But um, it's definitely a tool. It's useful, and we should see it as that. Um... Let's skip to the next point. So the other way the Bible teaches us to view money is with like the as in little, so in much principle. I know we just read it, but can someone read Luke 16 verses 10 and 11? We should hear that and think that that's a pretty big deal. Like, I've I've, um, I've heard people say, and it seems to be true from what I've seen, if people start to get a hold of their finances, they tend to grow in other areas. And I think it, it can help you grow in your relationship with God as well. The last thing I want to mention in how we should think about money is wealth is produced by working. It, it might grow on trees, technically, but you still have to pick from the tree. There's no wealth that isn't produced by working. Um, can someone read Proverbs 10, verse 4? A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And Proverbs 13, verse 11. If you ever think get-rich-quick schemes are a good idea, just you know, keep reading Proverbs 13, verse 11. They're not. <laughs> All right, so I have a summary slide for the four points of how the Bible says we should think about money. I figured I ought to start using summary slides. It'll make it better. Um, but we are stewards. Money is a tool. Faithful and little, faithful and much and wealth is produced by working. All right, next we're gonna briefly talk about our attitude towards money. So there's a divine tension in our attitude toward money. We need to want money, but we need to not love money. 
To love money is obviously wrong, and we'll look at the warnings for that. It can be very destructive for a person to love money. But to be totally lackadaisical about it and to not have desire for money is also not fitting for a Christian. It doesn't fit into the biblical worldview. You can't have the things we talked about. You can't view money as a tool and, um, and as something that can be used to expand the kingdom and just not want it. So first we'll talk about the need to want money a bit more. Can someone read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28? So the only way here working to have something to share with someone within need is if you, you're wanting to acquire it so you can have it to share with them. And naturally, if giving is good, and the Bible says that it is, then we should want to give, but in order to give, you need to have. Um, but we also need to be on guard against the love of money. Could someone read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5? And also, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many I really like the way the ESV translate it. It's the root of all sorts of evil. I think, it's, I think it's not what the Bible meant. It's literally the root of literally all evil. Just like money won't solve all your problems, it didn't create them either. The best way to avoid developing a love of money is just to be generous. Because um, even if your heart is set on money, if you give it, it kind of it breaks that attachment a little. I think it's interesting how like the Jesus, Jesus told the rich line ruler, he didn't tell him, well, you know, pray that God would deliver you from spirits of love of money. He just said, give out your money away. <laughs> That'll fix it. I'm not suggesting everyone give all their money away, but giving helps us to not develop a love of money. Um, and lastly, with our attitude toward money, we need to be content. Can someone read First um, Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8?
Contentment is a biblical principle for the Christian life. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Um, and lastly, we should trust God to provide. We shouldn't be worrying about money. We, we need to be diligent. You know, the Bible says in Thessalonians, he who doesn't work, don't let him eat either. If you're not working, maybe you should worry about money, but you should really worry about working more. Um, let's quickly read Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. All right, um, I'm going a bit slower than I thought I would. So the third section in our brief overview of what the Bible says about money is how we should handle money. And there's, there's six biblical principles I wanna mention. Uh, the first one is the tithe. Uh, to start out, can someone read Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32? <coughs> So let's start out with what the tithe is. The tithe, um, it's, it's 10%. And in Hebrew culture, the first uh, tenth represents the whole, like the first of the Ten Commandments represents all of the Ten Commandments. Um, so when we give our 10% to God, we're really saying, we're acknowledging, like we talked about earlier, that God owns all of it and we're just stewards of it. Um, the next point I want to get to is that God told Israel they were robbing him when they didn't tithe. Can someone read Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 12? So there's two things um, to get from that. A, the tithe is important to God. He said, like, Israel was robbing him. 
kind of a big deal. It's almost a funny statement. The second thing, though, is that not just in Malachi chapter 3, but in multiple places in the scripture, God promises to bless the tithe. Um, we don't have time to look at them, but it talks about that in Proverbs 3, um, in Deuteronomy some, but it's throughout the Bible, God promises to bless our tithe. And the last thing I want to point out is God does allow borrowing on the tithe. Um, like we read earlier in Leviticus 27, um, you can redeem a portion of your tithe if you want and just add one-fifth to it. That would basically be borrowing on your tithe and just paying 20% instead of 10 but if you're going to be borrowing on your tithe, you should probably tell someone else in your church so that they know, especially if you um, go to a smaller church. <laughs> All right, next thing we should save. Could someone read Proverbs 21, verse 20? So precious oil, um, you could almost view that as um, being somewhat equivalent to currency. Back in um, you know, Old Testament times, a lot of the wealth that people had wasn't as liquid as cash, like um, livestock and crops were wealth. Oil would also be a form of wealth, or even though oil is liquid, it's not liquid wealth. It's not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's liquid, but it isn't liquid wealth. But it is wealth. And, you know, the wise store it up, but fools devour it instantly. Fools spend the entirety of their paycheck instantly. We should, if we can, save. You know, there might be some seasons of life where it's very difficult, and if you can't you can't, but if you have the ability to, you should save. Um, the third thing we want to do is to provide, not only for ourselves, but for um, those under our care. So we have needs, and God promises to meet those needs, but for a lot of our needs which are physical, the main way which he does that is through giving us money. I could be going hungry, but I typically don't because I buy food. <laughs> uh, can someone read 1 Timothy 5, verse 8? So we, we definitely need to provide for those under our care. Um, if you're a dad, you have to be getting your kids food. And 
it goes without saying you should provide food for yourself. If you stop providing food for yourself, you won't be providing anything for anyone else in about 30 days. The next thing um, the Bible teaches us we should do is to give. There's so many verses on this that um, we're just not going to look at that many, but like, you can't, if you just randomly open the New Testament, odds are within a page or two you'll find something about giving. <laughs> um, but we will take a look at two verses. Can someone read 1 John chapter 3, verse 17? That's a strong verse. I like that one. And Luke 12, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So clearly we are supposed to give. It's one of the things God wants us to do. The next one, and something people might not have expected to be on this list, is enjoy. Can someone read 1 Timothy 6 verse 17? You gotta let that affect your thinking. God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So I want to explain a little bit about this. God is glorified by our enjoying things. Like, yeah, God's glorified when we give, but He doesn't need us to give. Like in Psalm 50, God owns everything, and if He needed anything, He wouldn't come to us. He'd do it himself. He doesn't need us to give. He's glorified by us giving because it reflects him, but he's also glorified by us enjoying because that's him giving to us. It's a bit of a culmination of him giving to us. So he's glorified by both of them, which is why we should have a little bit of both of them. All right, the last thing I want to mention is we should avoid uh, getting into debt. Can someone read Romans chapter 13, verse 8? And Proverbs 22, verse 7.
So, um, you know, when you're in debt to someone, that hinders you from being able to do other things. You're a slave in the sense that you can't really do other things with your money until you've paid this person back. And not all debt is wrong. Like, I think there's a reason that um, in the Old Testament law, debt's not forbidden. Like, God could have done that. But I think um, short-term investment debt is fine. And um, if for any reason, like, you just don't have any money and you just need to eat, then, you know, you can't just let yourself die of hunger. (laughs) But... And as a general rule, we should avoid debt. So in summary, um, six things for how we are to handle money. Tithe, save, provide, give, enjoy, and try to avoid debt. All right. Um, I want to mention some practical reasons. Uh, We've mentioned the biblical reasons for why we need to handle money well but just some practical reasons. Uh, first, if, you, if you're doing well with your finances, you can provide for those in need. Um, it enables you to better love others. You're able to give more, you're able to have more time, because money can buy time, we'll get to that in a bit. You can pursue better education. So one thing that I started doing maybe a year ago it might seem wasteful, but a lot of times when I buy an audiobook, I buy the Kindle book too. And like, it, it really doesn't even cost that much, but it makes me learn it better. And it, it costs like half an hour of my time usually, because right now I'm fortunate to make enough about 20 an hour, and uh, it's like $10 a book. But it makes my comprehension of it go up a good bit. Like, We talk about saving money, but we shouldn't save money forever. That's what the lazy servant did in the parable. We have money so we can use money. And money allows you to pursue better education. It says in Proverbs, buy wisdom and do not sell it. It also allows you to better take advantage of technology and resources for the spread of the gospel. We have technology and resources that help the spread of the gospel. We have planes and trains and cars, but they all cost money. But they allow the gospel to move through people to places quicker. And one of the most important ones is money can buy time for yourself and for others. You can buy, you know, time for yourself by if you have enough money saved up, you can take time off work. If you have enough saved up, you could quit your job, and then you have way more time. You can also buy money for others by enabling someone else to do that. Like Paul said, those who um, spread the gospel should make their living by the gospel. Gospel ministers, like full-time gospel ministers, should make their living by the gospel. And that provides them to have more time to more effectively be involved in the work of the gospel. So I want to summarize that by just saying this. Money is one of the better money is one of many things that better equips you to serve God's kingdom. You definitely don't need it to advance God's kingdom, but it does help. And as such, Christians should seek to make the most of their finances. 
To be lazy about your finances is to be lazy about your stewardship. If, you, if we're lazy about our finances, then we're being lazy about an aspect of the kingdom of God. And I think that's reflected in the um, faithful and little, faithful and much principle. So next, we're going to talk about some methods or tips and methods for making the most of your finances. Number one, have financial goals. So having a lack of goals or a lack of direction leads to waste just in general. We all have energy and resources like all the time. Every day you have energy. You might not be directing it somewhere, but every day you have it. Even if it doesn't happen to you, drink your coffee. And goals help you to focus your energy on something. And um, like if you've been in, if you've ever not set goals, and we all used to not set goals, some of us still don't set goals. But if you've started, you know how much it can help. So some categories we should have for our goals are saving, giving, investing, and I think it's probably fine to have some goals for enjoyment. I know Catherine would enjoy a trip to Europe. <laughs> uh, but they should be purpose-based goals. And um, like I, I just have to get across that without goals, we just have waste and we have unfocused energy. Like recently I learned how guns work and I thought it's pretty cool. I didn't know, I only knew what I thought I knew and I was wrong. But the bullets, John Gray will appreciate this, I know. The Johns know how guns work. But the bullets have the gunpowder in them. And when you hit the back of the bullet with enough force, it sets it off and it causes an explosion. And if you just exploded a bullet while it's outside of a gun, it would kind of poof and like, fly 50 feet or something probably. But when you have it in a gun, it focuses all the energy in one direction. And then it goes hundreds and hundreds of feet very, very fast. And goals help us to focus our energies on a particular thing. And without focus, we just have waste. So tip number two is to have a budget and a tracking system for your spending. So just like undirected energy goes to waste, if, you, if your finances aren't well-directed, I'm sure you have more waste than you think you do. So what people should do, you should set appropriate budget goals by category. Um, you know, restaurants, food and groceries, rent, electricity. You should have categories and you should have amounts. If you have a spouse, you should sit down with your spouse and you know, work something out if you don't already have a budget in place. And you should, you know, pray about it and put thought into it. But you should have a plan for how much you plan to spend on each category. And this will keep you from spending things that you didn't realize you were spending on, if you keep track of what you're spending, that is. So that's the second part of this, is you need to have a way of tracking your finances and your spending. Um, 
If you want some practical ideas, you can talk to me about it later. There's various tools, there's Mint. I actually don't use Mint because I got too lazy about it because it does everything for me and I, then I just didn't check it. You should check your spending at least twice a week. Everyone should check their spending transactions at least two times a week. Because the whole point of having a budget and a tracking system is to know how much you have left to spend in a given month. But if I don't check it till the end of month, like a lot of good that did me, <laughs> it's too late. Um, a lot of times I'll look at my money and be like, oh wow, I, we spent a lot on restaurants. <laughs> but um, after I look at that, I can adjust in that month and spend less on restaurants, which I often need to do. And if anyone needs help setting up a budget or a tracking system, please talk to me. Um, I really enjoy helping people with that. So tip number three is to learn how to spend less. You know, there's two ways to have more money. You can make more or you can spend less. Um, to do that, we need to learn to evaluate our purchases. We should, you need to learn to do research before you're going to buy something and do comparisons, product comparisons and price comparisons. Like a lot of times when you find something nice you wanna buy, if you've only looked at one thing, you can find a cheaper version of the exact same thing on Amazon, even if what you found is already on Amazon. <laughs> All right, uh, the fourth tip I wanna mention is you need to understand how money works. There's five things that would be helpful to understand, and there's a book that I'm gonna mention in a bit that will help you learn more about these five things, but they're interest, inflation, taxes, investments, and credit. You need to know about interest, um, you need to know about interest to understand investments. Investments is one of the best ways to make more money, just like the, um, the servants in the parable, like one of them started out with one mina and then had 10. It's a pretty good way to have more money. That's 10 times more than you started out with. I don't have much time left. Um, you need to understand compounding interest. I wish I could talk more about this. Um, just to mention what compounding interest does, unfortunately I can't get too much into it because I'm already behind. But if at age 20, you start putting $250 a month into an investment that compounds, which means your interest gains interest, and it does it at just 8%, um, and you put $250 a month in it every month until you're 65, if you start when you're 20, you'll have only put in $135,000, but you'll have $1.4 million. Because interest gains interest gains interest gains interest gains interest. So you should learn about that. Um, inflation. The government is stealing from you, Amen. apart from taxing you. You need to learn why inflation is the government stealing from you. Taxes. The government also stealing from you. You need to understand how taxes work and what makes you owe more or less of them. Investments. The different types of investments. You know, uh, real estate, money market accounts, businesses. Like, learning about these things can help you make such a difference 
and being able to acquire finances, but they don't necessarily take a long time to learn about. Just diligently getting a brief overview of them will go a long way, and there's short books on it that can help you do it quickly. You need to understand credit, how credit scores will work, why they're important, what they can do for you, and um, what makes them go up and down. People who better understand these five concepts are better equipped to make more money. So there's a book that I would recommend, if we can see a picture of it. It's called The High Schooler's Guide to Money. It's like 100 pages. Anvesh recommended it to me. It's a great book. Um, but if you want to understand those five concepts more, please look up The High Schooler's Guide to Money. All right, tip number five, um, seek to raise your income level. You should always have career goals for growing in your career. It says in Proverbs, a skilled man will stand before a king. I forget how the rest of it goes. Um, yeah, he won't stand before obscure men. But follow biblical work principles. If you follow biblical work principles, you'll be one of the best workers at your workplace, odds are. And if you're one of the better workers, you're more likely to get raises and promotions. Mm -hmm. All right, I've got a few minutes left, but not really. Um, tip number six, make sure you give wisely. So the reason we want to have money is so we can use money, and one of the main ways we use it is by giving. But you can't just assume that just because you gave money and were generous that it was the best way to use that money. Um, you need to understand what opportunity cost is. So if I have an amount of money in my budget for giving, I only have that much amount of money. Like I can't give more than that. So let's just say it's $35 a month. Um, if I give it to one ministry, and then I found out, oh, this ministry is doing even more, well, I'm out of my $35. You know, everything has opportunity cost. If you do one thing with your resources, you can't use them on another thing. Um, we should do research. We should know what kind of opportunities are out there. That applies to both giving and investments. And you should do research on an organization. Um, you know, know what they do with their money as well as you can. And it's wise to diversify. Can someone quickly read Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2? I think it, it's definitely good to, um, you know, diversify in your investments because you don't know what disaster might happen. You might invest in a certain company and then it goes under. But I think it's also good to diversify in giving because God, each church, each ministry is important. God doesn't just work through one. He works through his body as a whole. Uh, the last thing I want to mention and then we'll quickly wrap up um, have a prayer pl plan for your finances. We should be asking God, like at least weekly when we pray, what would you like me to do with my finances since you own them? How can I be more effective in 
Lord, please bless my finances. Like, pray about it. Pray for your finances. So we can get a quick summary of the seven tips for making most of your finances. One, have financial goals. Two, have a budget and a tracking system. If you're just starting out, that's probably the most important one. Three, learn how to spend less. Four, understand how money works. That's also super important. Five, seek to raise your income level. Six, learn how to give wisely. And seven, pray about your finances. So I kind of had more I wanted to talk about, but it is 1021. So in conclusion, um, I just want to emphasize that finances are a part of the kingdom, and there is no area of your life that's outside of your Christian life. All of your life is your Christian life. Um, and if we're going to seek to glorify God in every area, then that means we need to seek to manage our finance as well. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to come together to fellowship, to worship, and to learn from your word. We pray that you would help us to learn to manage our finances well and learn to rely on you and not ourselves. And we pray that um, you would just help us to have a passion for your kingdom that affects every area of our lives and changes the way we live every area. We thank you for your grace and amen.